And a very good morning to our listeners. I'm your host, Stephanie Sumner, and welcome to the last edition of our podcast for the year. And a very Merry Christmas to the ho, guys ho, here. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. And I think everyone's pretty exhausted, but we've all committed to <laughs> an hour of power this morning. We have. Oh, my God. It's been that mad rush, hasn't it? Leading into the uh, holiday season. God. Well, I think the whole city's had it too, because on the way in here, it seemed dead. It was deserted on, yeah. the, on the way yeah. in this morning. On yeah. the, this morning? Yeah. Well, not so much, hey, at, you, not not, not so much <laughs> at one o'clock when I was <laughs> yeah. walking into the office. Uh, <laughs> no, well. everyone was getting out of the, the bars and nightclubs. It was actually, there was a fair bit of activity yeah. when I was uh, walking into the office. Sounds like Melbourne's got a big hangover today. Yeah. Sure does. Yeah. Now, Joel... Let's go throw to you. You've had a bit of a big night. <laughs> Why were you in it? One yeah. Couple, well, it's been a couple of big nights, actually. Yeah. Um, so, uh, unless you've been living under a rock, um, you would uh, probably be aware that the US Federal Reserve, a uh, big meeting on Thursday to determine the future of the world and stock markets. Yeah. <laughs> Financial markets. <laughs> Financial and markets business and, and right. business and everything. And... Um, uh, so we were we were up we were up early uh, watching the announcement because um, obviously the stock market has been going through a, a fairly decent correction, which is now uh, that's you know, one way to put it. Yeah, <laughs> you put it. You, you, it's been a very deep correction. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, so we had the Federal Reserve that uh, was was um, on Thursday night um, or Thursday morning, six o'clock our time. Uh, announced their interest rate decisions and uh, and the and they decided that they would continue to raise interest rates by a quarter of a percent from 2.25 percent to two and a half percent this has the effect of um, uh, being the fourth uh, interest rate increase this year by the that's still historically low though isn't it as a as a rate it is historically low as a rate yeah Um, we haven't seen interest rates at this level for you know for probably since the uh, post-war world war Mm. ii um era but uh the market did not like it in fact um the market sold off a little bit on the back of the uh, interest rate announcement then it started to recover um jerome powell gave his uh speech at 6 30 and started talking and and the market started to find some rebound uh as he started talking and then and then gradually as the questions started and question time uh, opened up to the journalists on the floor um, he did and unwound all of that Ugh. good work that he had uh, built into it. And he should the have just dropped just, the mic and walked out. Yeah, and he just and the market just fell away. What, and what was he saying, Joel? That sort of um, you know prompted this sell-off. Okay, well, look, the the market in general, and when I say the market, that's the analysts, mm. the consensus amongst uh, all of the major analysts over in the United States. We're expecting that the Fed would raise interest rates uh, by about. Um, by by the quarter of a percent, but they would expect that the Fed would probably be on pause. In fact, they were hoping that the Fed would come out with some commentary that would suggest that the Fed was no longer going to raise interest rates into 2019, and they were going to let the work that they've done to date, which includes also um, quantitative tightening, where they're now shrinking the money that they printed in the economy during emergency times in 2011 all the way through to 2014, uh, I believe it ran for, um, that they are going to start to reduce that amount of money that they had printed, as well as raise interest rates. Now, the, the market was hoping that they would perhaps pause on raising interest rates into 2019 because there has been some signs of softening in the global economy and obviously there's a lot of headline risk out there as well with Trump and China and 
And uh, now that we've also got the, the headline risk of a potential uh, US government shutdown with uh, Trump wanting his wall built across uh, Mexico and wanting the funding from Congress to do that. Hmm. Um, but uh, we didn't get that. They did lower their expectations from what was previously a, a three-rate increase expectation into 2019, <coughs> which was announced in September, which perhaps led to uh, this correction getting underway. Uh, and they eased that back to now two rate hikes into 2019. Um, but uh, certainly uh, the, the words that Jerome Powell was, uh, was communicating uh, were nowhere near the mark that the market was expecting. Um, and uh, we've had this uh, precipitous sell-off over the last two days. So, Joel, which is as, he was, as he was being questioned, as he was making that speech, you could literally see trade transactions well, we were watching the we were watching the ticker on the yeah. nasdaq and the s p and and you can yeah you could see it as he was talking yeah so minute, one man's words really do move the market minute by minute yeah and it um you know probably swung the market by about two and a half percent in the space of about half an hour wow. so joel what what should i be doing though if I've, i'm invested what what would the advice be here what I'm, it sounds kind of scary to me I don't know, go and get a professional. <laughs> no. um, so look, I mean, it, it's, in, it's in times of stress that, uh, that, you know, you need to keep ahead. And this is where it's important to have a strategy. Um, and you need to be disciplined and know what, what that strategy is. So you need to understand the companies that you have in your portfolio, why you own them. Uh, you need to have conviction about the, the rationale and the investment thesis of each of those companies that you own. You also do need to have some understanding about you know what the outlook uh, is for the economy, the, the US economy in particular, but also the, the local economy, and, and understand what really drives um, markets over the medium and longer term. Um, and, you know, I, I keep saying that, uh, look, all in all, that right now we've got the, the US stock market is pricing in a fairly severe recession, I think, uh, in 2019. And there just doesn't appear to be enough evidence that the US is even going to get anywhere near a recession in 2019. So this so creates why opportunity. Why, why do you think they're pricing it that way? Well, you know, I, I guess that there's we're in this inflection point where we're transitioning from what was a very uh, powerful economic spurt that we had coming out of uh, the, the, the tax cuts, um, coming out of 2016 when we had the oil crisis. Uh, the US economy was recovering through 2016. It strengthened in 2017 and it continued to perform very well in 20, 2018. Uh, but we've had a new uh, Fed governor come in and he is... Um, you know, he is uh, perhaps, you know, he has a, his own set of views and viewpoints on how the, the, the Fed should manage uh, interest rates. And it's perhaps a little bit un uh, different to, to what the market has been used to with the past couple of uh, Fed um, Federal Reserve uh, chairpersons. So I think there's just this transition where we're sort of like, okay, well, we know that we've had some really good growth, mm. but what does the future hold for us? We're not 100% sure. We're starting to see some signs of softening, not the sorts of conditions that you would see for a US economy to fall into a recession by any stretch, but is the Fed going to make a policy mistake? Is Jerome Powell, who is new to the game, is he you know, likely to make a mistake? Um, because he just doesn't quite have a handle on what what he's doing at this point in time, and that's perhaps sending 
you know, a little bit of risk aversion through through the markets right now. Do you think this volatility will sort of continue within the next couple of weeks, months? I think this volatility... Well, uh, if, if you've been reading our research, um, uh, we, we said that this volatility would likely continue for the next couple of years. I mean, we're in the latter stages of an economic cycle and, and uh, volatility spikes in the last several years of a... Of of a bull market and and an economic cycle because you are wrestling with these issues of slowing economy, some signs of softening, but yet you can still generate some very good returns in the stock market. I think that, you know, we might, we might be in a trading range for a period of time until we sort of get some clarity on, on, uh, on some of these issues. But, um, uh, you know, I mean, at, at this point in time, you know, the, the data and the analysis is not consistent with the US recession. So with that in mm. mind, you would have to be thinking that, you know, there's going to be some very good op- opportunities out there and valuations still look really good. Steph, remember that the the US Federal Reserve and the Australian Reserve Bank, it's not their job to support the share markets. Mm. Their job and their main objective is actually to control inflation in the in the country in which they operate. So when the US Federal Reserve has had interest rates so low for such a long period of time, now that there is economic recovery, if they don't increase interest rates, well then it causes a bigger long-term problem, which is inflation moving up to 3, 4, 5%. Yeah. And that creates a much bigger problem for the population of that country, which then create uh, creates a need for more radical financial measures or bigger, deeper recessions to, yep. to have happen. Uh, if we think of Paul Keating's statement in the 90s, the recession we had to have, it was as a result of not yet having that same monetary tightness. Mm. But what uh, about the ripple effect for people that are not living in that country and what happens to us when we're invested? Well, see, it's the, the financial markets then need to react to those changed conditions. So that's why financial markets, they have... I guess, an expectation, and what they're looking for is a guide, not just on what interest rates are right now, but an expectation of what interest rates are going to be uh, in the next two, three, five, ten years. Mm. And then they can plan for their businesses accordingly, and they can plan their uh, their finances accordingly from, from that big point of view. So when Joel says something like, well, next year there was three interest rate increases expected, but now there's only two interest rate uh, rises expected. Just that change in expectation has a huge impact on financial markets and how they price things in doing business with each other. So, Can you ever forecast that, that they're going to increase them? I mean, do we ever really know what's going to happen? I mean, is there... Well, it's based on the best expectation that people have. And Joel talks about a consensus view among analysts. Mm. You've got lots of analysts that disagree with each other. Uh, but when you get sort of a consensus and an average view, yeah. then the market sort of prices it uh, accordingly. Yeah, in this particular instance, the market was hoping that the Fed would say, hey, you know what, we've, we've raised interest rates quite a bit in the last uh, year and a half to two years. Um, the market was hoping that the Fed would say, okay, look, we can see that there's some signs of moderation. We might just sit and hold here and just see how these most recent set of interest rate increases are going to reverberate through the economy. Instead, the Fed has uh, shaken that off and said, no, we still believe that the economy is going to be strong next year, so we need to continue on trying to normalise interest rates. So what the Fed's trying to do is take away some of 
those extraordinary measures that were propping up the US economy and the global economy over the past nine years coming out of the global financial crisis. Because what they want to do is they want to have the ability to give support to the economy if it eventually does go back into recession. And what the market is currently wrestling with is if the Fed keeps raising interest rates, they'll probably put the US into recession, hence they'll have to re reduce it anyway. So better not kill the cycle. Pause here. Just see what's what's happening and then maybe make some policy adjustments down the track once more data and once more understanding of, of what's already taken place filters through. Mm. Uh, and that disappointed the market um, quite, a, quite a fair bit where... Um, yeah, they were hoping that, you know, no more than perhaps one and probably even none into next year. Joel, what do you think about the thought that investors who used to be in bond markets, who then got out of bond markets and maybe went into share markets because the yield on bonds was virtually zero, what do you think uh, of the effect of people then or financial institutions getting out of the share market and going back into the bond market, now there's actually a bit of yield to earn on that. At this point in time, I think I think really, so there is a bit of yield, but it's still not, um, it's, it's, it's probably not compelling yield yep. to, to suggest that that's where you'd want to be long term. Yep. Uh, if you're good at timing the markets, and very, very few people are mm. good at timing the markets, then maybe you can swap from stocks into bonds and bonds back into stocks. Uh, but in general, most people would be wise just to hold great quality businesses and ride through the volatility. And um, So it comes back to having a strategy. Having a strategy mm. and having a plan and understanding why you're executing that plan. Yeah. Mm. And probably having some investment horizon timeline for your expectations on that strategy. Absolutely. Yep. I, think that's I mean, we talk about long-term investment all the time, but the reality yeah. is that most people are short-term focused, mm. yeah. you know, and uh, while we're investing long-term, it's the decisions that you could make in the short-term that could really impact on whether or not your portfolio outperforms or underperforms. So, you know, Warren Buffett always talks <laughs> about being fearful when people are greedy and greedy when people are fearful, but how yeah. often do people actually execute when the market is down 20% and the time to buy is there yeah. in front of them? Most of them are gripped by fear yeah. and don't actually put mar money into the market. I mean, it's supposed to feel uncomfortable because the market mm -hmm. does whatever it can to shake you out of whatever positions that you've got. So if you're buying into a market that's depressed and it feels uncomfortable, then the market is often always counterintuitive. And if that is how you're feeling, that is often the best decision. And if, it, if you're feeling comfortable, that's when you should actually yeah. feel, be concerned. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I, I just, I'd be wary that, you know, getting too pessimistic here and being too cautious uh, when you're seeing world-class companies like you know Amazon and Apple and Microsoft and and, and many others that are emerging world-class companies that are now 25, 30 percent off their highs only three months ago. I mean, nothing. So they're selling at a discount. So nothing fundamentally has changed uh, with their businesses, you know. And I, yeah. you know, in fact, many of them are probably still seeing increasing revenues and profits and sales. Yet the share price is on bargain uh, is, is is on sale now 
yet how many of you are actually stepping in and taking and this do. as an opportunity yeah. because you have a 10 or 15 year time horizon you know even if you get it wrong by five or ten percent in the short term and the market keeps falling if you're looking through that over the next 10 or 15 years this could be a phenomenal buying opportunity for you and, it's um, and very similar to the property market though i mean you see the average australian when when the rates start to drop people panic i know that was a major conversation at my work the other day oh i better not sell or get into anything else that's terrifying for the mm. average person so i think when these markets you start seeing them drop off it's it's panic stations for for people that aren't uh, you know don't have the background yeah mm-hmm. I, and i think the property market is a is a classic way to look at psychology at work yeah. because if someone is moving out of one house and buying into another house well it kind of doesn't matter what the market's doing mm. because if you're selling your house at a discount you're that's also right. buying your next house at a discount the so psych- is th- th- definitely that, there that that's right the psychology is there well i can't sell my house because it's mm. it's lower but it doesn't yeah, actually matter. That's right. Yeah. Well, if you're focusing on quality and you're focusing on value and you're focusing on trend, well, you've got two of the three in your favour, you know, that you could go and start looking at right now. So now's the time to be starting to put together, if you haven't already done this, starting to put together a watch list and a wish list of what you'd like to buy and then, you know, wait for those signs of a, of a small new uptrend emerging and mm. actually use this as the opportunity to, to step in. I think, Louis, you were going to give us some advice to our listeners on um, planning and, and thinking ahead. Yeah, I was, yeah. So from a personal finance point of view, um, what do you do if you are nervous about where your investment is sitting uh, with markets being down at the moment? So from a financial planning point of view, um, there there should be, I think, a separation between your personal finance and your investment finance. So what I would say is firstly, if you're concerned about your investment uh, being lower in value because of this volatility that's happening, Mm. and you're thinking perhaps of getting that money out, then I'd be saying, well, actually, it's it's too late. Uh, When you decided to get into that investment, uh, those are the risks that you should have known and you should have uh, made sure that you would be comfortable with uh, this kind of volatility Mm. at the time that you made the investment. Often that's what people forget when they uh, when they choose to invest uh, in a moment of comfort because the market had been going up at the time uh, they weren't thinking of well what about when things get a little bit uncomfortable Mm. how am I going to behave at that time. So when you get into an investment, you need to be thinking, well, this is how it's been recently, but how might it be in future? And the people get burned are the ones who get uncomfortable and sell out. Yeah, mm-hmm. which when is, again, back down to psychology, because I would say the same. When my um, portfolio is doing well, I never want to have any interest. It's, it's great. It's just ticking along. But the moment yep. I see a drop, that's when I panic and yep. want to know what's going on and freak out so yep. it's it's just it's it's again it comes down to human psychology yeah we just want to see it going up all the time yeah right? we do yeah. yep yep because we like uh we like certainty we don't like uncertainty um and what we need to uh, what i tell my clients is this money in your investments don't think of it as your money anymore yeah it's not mm. it's there for the purpose of of, of you having it in 10 years time. So think of your future self as a different person. Mm. So it was your money. When you decided to invest it, you handed it to a physically different person, which is still yourself, but it's your future self, not your present self. Yeah. And your future self in 10 years time, it's if it's invested in the stock markets, well, the stock markets, as Joel has said, never had a 10 year period of time with a negative return. 
So your current selves hand it to your future self for 10 years or 20 years time, whatever it is, uh, and it's invested in such a way for that person's benefit. What if it's not performing too well after 10 years though? <laughs> uh, well, that was the decision that you took at the time. Yes, you want to review it and make sure it is constantly managed in the best possible way. Mm. Uh, and so you do need to make judgment calls, but the, but the time and the, uh, the context to make judgment calls is not at a time of, uh, of your greatest discomfort because of volatility. Mm. So... Yeah, correct. So, yep. what about you know when when I come in for my half yearly review with with you guys, should I what what should I be doing at that time? Because I, I mean, if if things are down, what yep. how sh- how should I approach it? And you know what what would you tell? Okay, so if you were really going to scrutinise your plumber and whether they were going to good do a good job or not, you'd look at their toolkit. All right. So if you've brought them in to fix a leaking tap and they're there to do a, see what the situation is and what the problem is. Before you engage them, you look at their toolbox. Now, in their toolbox, do they just have the tools to replace a washer? Or do they have all the tools in their tool bag to deal with a full-scale emergency or deal with other problems that might arise at the time? And if they have those tools in their tool bag, well, then you know, oh, well, this expert... Uh, they're going to be able to deal with not just the current thing that I need, but anything else that might crop up in future. And that's what you need to look for in your uh, investment expert. Not just, can they investment invest my money right now, but do they have the tools to invest my money in these volatile times? Do they have those other strategies in place that are ready to be executed when those conditions come up? So if you are having your portfolio review, Yes, you want to know how has my investment performed, but the more valid question is, what's coming next? Are you prepared for the potential future scenarios if things go well or if things go differently from what's expected? So with a financial advisor, though, what are the top tips? If I, you know, Obviously, there's lots of other listeners out there that are not um, invested with UGC. What's the tips to look for with a, with a financial advisor? How do yeah. you tell what you've uh, oh, got in the tool bag? Great question. So if you're having a review with your financial advisor, question number one is, what do you think is going to happen from here? Question number two is, what do we do if the opposite happens? Mm. What mm. do we do? Mm. And then watch them. And if they say, I don't know then you might not have someone with all those tools in their tool bag. But if they say, well, if I'm wrong, well, then these are the potential strategies that are ready if situation B happens. Mm. And then if that's wrong, if situation C happens, well, here's the other things that we have ready to be executed. Yeah, interesting points. I find it very hard to go against a lot of Warren Buffett's philosophies. You mentioned him before, and when... When you're talking about a downturn, he's always been probably you know the most long-term thinker I've I've read about, mm. uh, and he's probably also been the most successful investor of the 20th century and, and the last probably 50 or 60 years, according to purely investment. Other people become wealthier in their own businesses, mm. but purely from investments. And some of the sayings that I've always read from him are very relevant at times like this. One I was just reading here is that over the long term, the stock market news will be good. So in the 20th century, the United States endured two world wars, other traumatic and expensive military conflicts, the Depression, a dozen or so recessions, and financial panics, oil shocks, a fly epidemic, and the resignation of a disgraced president. Yet throughout that time, the Dow rose from 66 to 11,497. Pretty compelling, isn't it? Yeah. Wow, it's huge. Yeah. 
and I think when you when you tie his his philosophies and what's what he's been able to implement to, to deliver his wealth with what your belief in the in the market and and your investment philosophy of quality value and trend if you've got the quality and you've 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 got the value right the only thing you're at the mercy of is the trend I believe correct so as long as you're buying quality and value the trend will always change but if you've got a long-term view I, I think you, you know the biggest risk is to is to not be in the quality and the value yeah the biggest risk is not being in the market because being able to time when that market turns and uh, being able to time it on the upside and on the downside is extraordinarily difficult your job as an investment advisor is not to uh, and as an investor is not necessarily to time the market what it is designed to do is to make sure that you have the tools and the strategies in place to be able to manage risk. And that's the key difference. It's not about being a hero and saying, I picked the bottom, I picked the top, I you know, made a whole lot of money shorting the stock market or I made a whole lot of money getting this market call right. It's what do you do to manage risk? Volatility is always going to be present in the stock market, but it's the risk of permanent impairment of your capital that you need to be concerned about, not whether or not the stock market fluctuates by 10 or 15 or 20% in any particular period of time. He always reminds me of a, of a wise old grandpa. Yep. <laughs> you know, he's seen it all, and when he sees it again, he knows what to do, and he does it calmly. <laughs> he's, he's ready. He's watching. Always, always just... Calmly got his finger on the button in the background. I don't yeah. know much about his sort of history, but has he had quite volatile situations where he's lost a lot with his? Oh yeah, I, in fact, yeah. one one of the one of the most striking instances was when the U.S. was going through the dot com mania. Yeah, um, Warren Buffett was famous for underperforming the U.S. stock market by a ton during the late '90s and early 2000s, and then eventually. I mean, he had, there was articles, I believe, in the Wall Street Journal or one of the other major, you know, press publications over in the US that was suggesting that Warren Buffett's lost it. Right. And sure enough, as soon as the dot-com bubble burst, um, Warren Buffett was back in vogue again because, uh, you know, he was outperforming. Yep. The market does not suit one style of investing at Mm. all times. Mm. Correct. Someone who's very good at their method of investing, there's going to be times where they underperform. But over the long term, they over, uh, they outperform. Mm. It's just that the market goes through these different phases, and they tend to be five to seven years where they will have times of underperformance. Yeah, yeah. And he's a bit of an old school investor, isn't he? He's not a big internet kind of a person. He's sort of he's not not but, really mainstream. And yeah, well, he's self admitted to not really understanding a lot of tech companies. Yeah. Uh, and if uh, and he has said, well, if I don't understand it. I'm not going to invest in it. Mm. Like if I don't understand the business model and and how it works, well then how can I assess whether these financial statements are actually valid or not? Was that what happened though with the the dot com boom? Was that what where he fell over with that because he didn't really have the knowledge in it and he got into something? That well, he remember didn't he didn't about? fall over, and a lot of the dot com boom was based on the hype, yeah, right. hot air and yeah, rubbish really. So yeah. so he he didn't understand why all of these dot-com companies were going through the roof when they had no sales, no no profits. No they customers. Were, no customers. They were being sold on how many eyeballs would click on their website. Mm. He couldn't get his head around that. Because it was just such a new 
new scenario well, yeah, for him. This, right. this speaks to his philosophy on, on this particular part. He's, a quote here, What an investor needs is the ability to correctly evaluate selected businesses. Note that word selected. You don't have to be an expert on every company or even many. Mm. You only have to be able to evaluate companies within your circle of competence. The size of that circle is not very important. Knowing its boundaries, however, is vital. It's a great quote. Mm. A really good one. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, f- fairly great advice from all of you guys. So thanks for, uh, for telling us all about that. And I think we're going to throw over to Brett now. He's going to talk to us about the APRA regulations. But before we that do that, we might just take a quick break. We'll be there. Should we do that last Yeah, just re yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. So great advice from everyone. Um, now we're just going to throw over to a really quick break. Okay, and welcome back, guys. Um, we're now going to hand it over to Brett, who's going to take us through the APRA regulations and give us a bit of background on what's going on there. Sure. So just this week, APRA have announced that they're removing the speed limit they put on the interest-only lending restrictions. They speed limit? Yes, they put a speed limit on. Were they giving out fines? Uh, I don't believe so. They're, they do hold a heavy stick, but I yeah. haven't seen them writing up any fines in the book, though. No, I think they were preferring the, the stick. Yes, <laughs> as opposed the stick to the fine leverage. approach. This is something that they've, they've finally seen its time because they implemented a couple of changes and regulations. I didn't realise how long ago. I was. I thought it was only in 2017, which the interest-only lending was introduced in 2017, March 2017. Uh, but they'd also had another speed limit that they'd imposed on lenders regulating them to keeping investor credit growth below 10% each year. And that had actually been in place since 2014. Right. So oh, I, di- wow. I didn't realise it had been in place so long. So no. both of these speed limits that, that APRA had put in place was because they saw the future coming. They saw the property market growing at a, at a rate that they knew wasn't sustainable. And they were worried that it was going to create a, a very hard landing at some point. So therefore, they introduced these two speed limits uh, and they've removed them both now. So they reduced the 10% credit growth limit earlier this year and now they've announced that as of January the 1st, they will no longer have a restriction on interest-only residential lending for the banks. Right. So I think that's a positive for the property market. Well, there was was some fear, wasn't there, that um, with the forced movement of uh, borrowers under principal and interest loans that could perhaps create financial stress in some households. Yes. Uh, those people who borrowed on interest-only loans that were then forced to then roll on onto P&I loans uh, could potentially, you know, put financial stress onto households, and that's where you could perhaps get the forced selling of of real estate, which is which is not what you want when you want a stable real estate market. Yeah, mm. and, and also people that some brokers have been using the term in in jail loans where because of the terms they were able to get when they first got their mortgage and no longer available to them, they're, they're stuck with the bank they're at regardless of what rate because they can't yeah. go and get the same level of borrowing. So now with the obviously the servicing's been the major criteria that's limiting how much you, your borrowing capacity is, but now that there's going to be a, a release limit on interest-only loans, there might be some flexibility with people being able to get extensions of interest-only loans or refinance on better terms. Mm. Yeah. So and with help. that restriction on credit growth, they, they restricted the growth of investment loans to not more than 10% yeah, a of, year. Of new loans. New, new loans. And so their new loans written every year, could yep. n- no more than 10% could be investors. Right. Okay. Okay. So that would potentially open the door to the banks doing more investment loans in future. Agreed. 
maybe not being so tight with their uh, assessments as they have been recently, which opens the door to a few more people. I, I don't know whether they'll, they'll change their assessment criteria. I yeah. think they're probably just going to maybe make their rates a bit more attractive. Right. Yeah. I think the criteria based on the Royal Commission, they're probably still going to have to be as strict on their lending criteria and their okay. serviceability calculators and their evidence of, of people's financial position. Yep. The variable housing interest rates took a real spike when they introduced the restriction in 2017 that interest-only lending differentiated itself by as much as a percent over principal and, and interest loans. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, Which kind of makes it pointless. Yeah. That, that was the way they probably kept their limits under the, mm. the APRA guidelines was by just raising the rates that it became unattractive. Yeah. So they wouldn't say, no, we're not going to lend. They would just make it so unattractive people wouldn't want it. Okay. So I believe that that's going to now come back in line. So you might find that your principal and interest loans and your interest-only rates are going to be more in line, and that might see a few more investors starting to enter the market again. Okay. Yeah. So, so good signs for stabilisation at least. Now, it's probably because the, the servicing levels are still going to be at the levels that they yeah. currently are it's it's unlikely that you're going to be able to all of a sudden get access to more credit than you know what you're currently being able to get access to because the main main driver behind being able to get access to less credit which is the harder um, assessment of servicing is still in place yeah but it just means that there's some more flexibility and uh, and the marketplace can start to compete again um, and and, and uh, if you're if you're only servicing an interest-only loan at a lower rate, therefore you, you you've got the capacity to borrow potentially a little yep. bit more than if you're servicing interest only. Oh, sorry, principal and interest at a higher rate. Correct. Mm. Yep. Mm. Yep. Okay. So, so, where do you think that will impact on the housing market? Yeah. Uh, do you think that will impact owner occupiers at the higher level, the lower level? Do you think it will impact mm. investors? Uh, in the mid-range or the high range? Look, I, I think it'll have an impact on on each of those markets to some degree, but I'm not seeing it's going to have a, an overall significant impact because if we look at the overall impact, we're talking about housing values. Yep. And, and I think all it will do is it'll probably help us s- probably stabilise out, as Joel said, because the property market, all, all the data is showing us that values have fallen, especially Sydney and Melbourne over the last year. Okay, and I think now that obviously APRA have seen that, that that's happened and they're saying, okay, we don't want this to now go too far. We've started to have an effect. It's, it's, eased, it's eased the growth. It's sort of put the property market probably back into its normal range. Now let's take these restrictions off and, and stabilise the market. So I would imagine we'll just see prices stabilised for the next year, maybe two. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do believe based on all of the other fundamentals in the market, population growth, low unemployment. So yep. I do believe the demand will still be there that should see prices increase as we t- spoke about last week, you know, probably 2020, 2021 onwards, prices mm. should start to increase again. Yeah, yeah. I think it's been a really smart thing to have a different regulator be able to put the brakes on the property market versus the Reserve Bank just raising interest rates for the whole country. So now you've got the Reserve Bank better able to just target uh, businesses mm. and uh, and that is separate to the housing market. Because if we look back a, a decade ago, if the Reserve Bank raised or lowered interest rates, it would affect both the housing market and the business economy. Mm. And those two things are not always moving in the same uh, direction. Uh, and that's certainly been the case in the last couple of years where housing has really taken off, uh, but the, the economy hasn't. So so it's nice to see that the regulators are developing these new strategies. Yep. And 
you know, with, with APRA being one part of it, the Royal Commission certainly had an impact. So overall, I think it's, it's a really good and it's a really healthy environment for Australian property. Obviously, a lot of people that are looking at their values, as we were talking about before, Steph, oh, it's down. But if you haven't sold, you know, just hold your property, yeah. you know, a long-term view again. Like mm. we said with the stocks before, it's a long-term hold position. Understand your strategy and uh, stick to it. Mm. Yep. But I think it's also worth noting that people should be chatting to their mortgage brokers. Yeah, that would be a really good thing to yep. do. Now that these restrictions have come off, I would say maybe not like right now, but maybe over the next month to two months yeah. as the banks start to reintroduce their, their new rates and, and maybe some new products, yep. that would be when the brokers would start to become aware of it. So yep. I would say probably in February would yep. be a good time to revisit your broker yeah. and, and see what you what deals are out there. Watch for the banks starting to compete with each other for yep. for new uh, new interest rates coming out yep. uh, and a mortgage broker will be all over that Absolutely. in comparing the different lenders. Yeah, yeah. I think that would be yeah very wise move. And and to add to that, uh, I note that uh, I saw some research the other day that suggested that there are over 60 lending products in the market today um, that have interest rates of 3.8% or less. That's fantastic. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, there's there's got to be a product out there that, that everyone can access. It's mm. just a matter of knowing which one's suitable, and that's where the brokers really help. Yeah, so if, your interest, if your interest mm. rate's in the fours, yeah. well, then you should probably get it reviewed. Mm. That could be, yeah, a, a very valuable conversation yeah. over the long term. Very good. Well, great advice. We're just going to throw to another quick break, and we'll be back shortly. And welcome back, guys. And just to finish off our segment today, we're uh, going to go to our favourite uh, segment of the podcast, which you is You Can't Be Serious. Be serious. You cannot be serious. <laughs> now, Brett, you always kick off with some good ones. Oh, we'll, okay. uh, we'll start with you today. Yeah, well, I'm going to take a pot shot at our, our Tasman neighbours here. Was it Tasman? What's, what's, what separates us from New Zealand? The Tasman Sea? Yeah, yep, yeah, Tasman. Yep. Our, our, our neighbours over the Tasman. Yep. Not really showing much Christmas cheer here where a gentleman was arrested recently for trying to uh, trying to make the world a happier place by paying for his McDonald's with a bag of weed. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you cannot be serious! Actually... The old barter system, right? Yep. So he went to a, a McDonald's store and uh, apparently at 2 a.m. local time on December 12, he, uh, he tried to pay for his... It doesn't say what it was. Maybe it was a happy meal. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and uh, the police were called in and noticed a heavy smell of cannabis. <laughs> After speaking to him, they discovered he had 11 grams of cannabis. <laughs> so it didn't right. work. Didn't oh, work. Geez. No Christmas cheer. No. <laughs> no. Well, keeping the Christmas uh, theme alive, uh, a Louisiana woman's choice of Christmas decorations has led to one of her nosy neighbours uh, getting in her face, uh, accusing the decoration of being... Uh, demonic. Um, oh, I saw this. Yeah. Yeah. So she had left a nice little note on her neighbor's uh, doorway, um, uh, suggesting that uh, some of her Christmas dragons were perhaps not in, in good taste, uh, s- stating that your dragon display is only marginally acceptable at Halloween. <laughs> it is totally inappropriate at Christmas. So it makes your neighbors wonder if you are involved in a demonic cult. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really sure how the dragons fit in with Christmas, but I don't yeah. think I'd leave the note. So. Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah, there's yeah. Christmas cheer for you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I've got one uh, about a, a lady in America who uh, faked a husband, faked a, hi- a firefighting husband in the California bushfires. Uh, and managed not be serious. 
managed to raise some donations of cash, but also gifts such as uh, socks and clothing, uh, and uh, for her supposedly unborn child, um, that didn't exist. Oh, wow. There yeah, you go. There you go. <laughs> what a rip-off. Just fake a husband, yeah. and you uh, get paid for it, apparently. Even better. You yeah. don't have to deal yeah. with him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that could catch on. Could. That's right. <laughs> Well, look, guys, I think we'll wrap up our, our last uh, segment for 2018. And um, I just wanted to wish you all a very, very Merry Christmas and to our listeners and really looking forward to 2019 and what it brings for us and the podcast. Thank you, Steph, and you, you too. And before we go, maybe we should just let our listeners know that we are taking a break. So we'll probably be back on air third week of, of January. So there's probably two to three weeks where we won't be recording. Uh, but please continue to, to look at the podcast because we'll have some special episodes coming out in the break. Great. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much, Steph, and thank you all of our listeners. Thanks, everyone. Bye.